top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we were at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins, the show breaking down all the action from England and Italy, soccer-wise. Of course, we're not going to dive much deeper than that because we don't have time to start a politics podcast. On top of this, I'm your host, Matt, joined by my my awesome co-host, Dom. Dom, how, how are you doing? I'm asking you as you're wolfing down the rest of your mushroom orzo soup. That is a hearty way to, uh, to cap off a President's Day weekend in which you spent two-thirds of in the snow in Vermont. Yeah, happy to be back in in reality. Uh, Vermont was beautiful. Um, I had to get caught up on all the action that I missed over the week, but uh, yeah, man, I've been relaxing. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been fairly well recently, man. How are you? How are I you? I am That's... great. Uh, Vermont, the the Piedmont of uh, of the Northeast. You know, it is it is the Turin, if you will. And uh... <laughs> I like that. Hey, nice, uh, nice segue right there. Thank you. I've been working on that for sure. Uh, we're going to start this week. It's a really action-packed weekend because there's a lot of fantastic games and some recapping of midweek last week. So we're going to start right away with uh, Inter Nil Sassuolo 2. Uh, this was certainly one of the biggest matches of the weekend uh, in Italy because Inter obviously struggling a bit as late. And Sassuolo have been known to be giant killers. Uh, they've played the top teams very well so far this season. A team that I think a lot of times, and it's not uncommon with teams that have like these younger cores, that they play above to their competition and have a tendency as well to drop off at times against uh, lower lower teams. Um, but they get, I, I think, a pretty deserved win against Inter. It was a really great game. Uh, a lot of back and forth here. But Sassuolo 2, uh, they're coming from the usual suspects here, Raspadori and Skamaka. Uh, Skamaka, who has been linked a lot with Inter, didn't celebrate very much um, because he probably doesn't want to piss Inter off. But he says he didn't celebrate because he thought for sure he was offside. Uh, that was his reasoning for why he had a muted celebration because he, he was sure that he was offside. He didn't want to celebrate. Uh, and I'm sure that I believe him on that one. Uh, Dom, as a totally non-biased uh, uh, person in this one, uh, <laughs> tell me how you feel. Let's about this go. Game. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, well, uh, for the sake of the offsides things, Kamaka did look a little offsides, but, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, he is the future of Italy along with Raspadori, so I'm just happy to see them get goals. As long as he's not in blue and black, I'm, I'm chilling. But, um, you know, Sassuolo, especially in the first half, they, they looked very aggressive. They were keeping all the pressure on Raspadori, Kamaka, and shout out to uh, – 
Hamed Traore, who has who has been a very good talent for them, always always getting into good spots on the field, setting people up. He got the assist uh, on the Skamaka goal. Um, I mean, Inter in the second half, they they definitely looked a lot more composed and, and pressured Sassuolo a lot more. Got a goal called off, um, but it you know Sassuolo just kind of dug deep. I mean, Berardi put a chance off the crossbar. I mean. This was this was a this was a game that Inter definitely should not have dropped points for. But Sassuolo was one of those teams. It's always a thorn in your side, and and they decided, you know, first twenty six minutes, there you go, game is game is game is settled right then and there. Yeah, this is a this was a frustrating game. I think if you're an Inter fan, because you had plenty of chances. It's not like you know this was a smash and grab victory by Sassuolo. Very frustrating. They, they were really. I, if it isn't for Consigli in this game, I don't know that they win. And it's it's funny. I think. The goalkeepers tell really the story of this one because Handanovic was, I think, a bit of a menace to enter in this game. He's had a few games like this this season where perhaps he should have saved certain shots. It's did been it, on. Didn't Raspadori's goal kind of go right went, underneath him? He like jumped him. up. He was like looking to dive and, and it went yeah. underneath him. It, it went through him, which he's had the tendency to do a few times this season. He was already a keeper, obviously, that was under some scrutiny, especially by the fans. Um, there's a reason that they signed Andre Onana because, uh, you know, it probably probably is time to move on. But, you know, you, you compare his gameplay right with with Consigli and how fantastic he was um, and how dreadful Lautaro Martinez was uh, missing an open chance. He just has looked completely devoid of confidence and of ideas uh, in the last like month and a half just has not been the player that they need. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because they've obviously got Caicedo now that they can call upon. I know Correa was struggling with some kind of injury issue, but, um, you know, they do have options to rotate. And I, I almost wonder if you have to really consider that now if you're in Zagi because you, you can't go on uh, playing the way that you are, scoring as little goals as you are, not having a threat up top because um, as good as Sassuolo were in this game at times, I, I thought Inter probably should have at least equalized there should have been two goals clearly in that second half uh, i wouldn't even call them a lot of them half chances there were some yeah, clear-cut chances, chances that inter weren't converting and that's that has to be a, a huge concern for them going forward a lot of the a lot of the chances early on in the match from inter were all outside the box as well allowing concili to get a good eye on on the shot and and nothing was really catching him you know off guard or you know unprepared and and like you said as as the match went on Inter did get these clear-cut chances that they needed to do better with. I mean, Zeko had four, four, five, six chances himself that he couldn't convert. Um, I mean, obviously, the best chance of the game was DeVry heading that ball into the net, and then uh, there was a handball earlier in the play that that called it off, basically. Um, VAR checked that, and, and then that reversed the, the whole decision. So, I mean... Yeah, Inter has to do a lot better when it comes to when it comes to finishing. Um, and and you know, aside from that, they, they got caught offside a few times and things like that. So it's it's a tough it's a tough stretch for Inter right now. You know, this was supposed to be an easier stretch of games for them. Oh no, no, actually no. Sorry, I'm thinking I'm thinking Milan. Um, but Inter Inter has a very tough stretch of games. Uh, they're playing some top teams. They played Liverpool. They're going to be playing Liverpool again soon, you know. So it's 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 rough, and you know, if they want to win the league, they have to start getting results, especially in games like this. 
Yeah, and, and the defending as well has not been ideal either. And some of that has been goalkeeping, but uh, DeVry's had a few mistakes in the last few weeks, which are a little uncharacteristic of, of him, at least how he's played this season, and especially going back to last year. I don't really care for the expected goal stats in single games, uh, because a lot of times that can be like inflated by just one or two like very small events. It's better for like over the course of a season to see if like a player or a team is really over or underperforming. Um, Inter did have 3.82 expected goals this game, which I feel like is at least worth mentioning. Uh, they, and that's really high. Like, that's a really Compared high. To, what was Sassuolo's? Uh, 1.7. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> there are games, games every year that, that you have like this, no matter who your team is, that you feel like you should have scored five or six, and, and you just didn't. And Listen, uh, this was the- one of those for Inter. All the FIFA players that are listening to this right now on, on my stream, expected goals doesn't mean shit because, you know, we, we deal with this a lot. You hear a lot of people because they just added that as a new stat this year. And they go, oh, well, I have like 9.0 XG compared to his 1.7 and I lost 3-1. And I'm like, well. Well, in FIFA, it makes very little sense for expected goals to be like a stat that you care about because it's not real life, right? Like The, the entire point of expected goals is that it's what the expected average player like should be scoring, right? In a, in an average mm-hmm. situation, um, an average finisher. That's why like the great goal scorers typically finish well above their expected goals, right? Because they are better than the average yeah. player. Um, Sassuolo, they, they've they've beat Juventus and Milan away from home. Uh, really good draw against Napoli, and in a lot of these big big games, they've performed really well, and I, I think have been a real threat to to these top teams. Um, they still have, obviously, some of those games to go the rest of the season. They're a team that I, I wouldn't take any pleasure in knowing that my my club has to come up against, uh, especially no. if I'm, I'm seeking a title now. Knowing that we have to play Sassuolo is, is not ideal. It's not something I'd be I'd be relishing by any means. Um, they play Milan on the uh, last day of the season, Dom. So that could be... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> Um, but they play Juventus, Napoli, uh, all in, all in the last month of the season as well. So, uh, look out for them. Like, I, that's yeah. all I'll say. You know, like they they are they're a really dangerous team. Look, um, and and I would not I would not feel comfortable playing against them. I'll say this about them: their front four is a, is very threatening and can and like you said can can go with the top teams in, in Serie A, you know, you have Skamaka and Raspadori are two of the hottest young talents in the league. Berardi has been touted by every top club in Italy, you know, for, for a very long time. And he's just stayed at Sassuolo. I, I shouted out Traore earlier, but you can, uh, and he he's filled in for Boga since they've sold him. So, I mean, they've got a very good front four. They have Defrel off the bench and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of goal scoring chances and, and, goals that can come from these four or five guys any given day. And and also, I, I do have in the back of my mind the thought that, you know, like Scamaca, Raspadori, and Berardi are playing, you know, really well against bigger clubs because they're trying to get a transfer. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. so you have you also have Davide uh, Fratesi, who's also yes. linked a lot with yes. Enter as well in the midfield. Really fantastic midfielder, up-and-coming. Up-and-coming um, talent. But Berardi's, you know, he's apparently an Inter fan, and the Inter fans were not – 
pleased at all with the fact that uh, he was he was very happy at the end of that game uh well they, there were some instagram comments now i i'm not fluent in reading italian but i can read some things and i know the curse words in italian uh let me just say the italians were not uh totally pleased with Wait, where, where was this on instagram I believe on his Instagram. I saw it on uh, Twitter, like this the screenshots of uh, conversation between between some of the uh, the Inter fans and and Berardi. Berardi's interesting, right? Because he's such a, a really fantastic player. I think he's the the first uh, player in Europe this season to hit double digits goals and assists uh, so far. Uh, he's he's an awesome creator. He's a good goal scorer. And he's 27 now. Uh, we have a tendency, I think, to think of him as this like young prospect. That's probably because that's how we first interacted with him. Now, you know, like six years ago. Uh, but he, he still could go somewhere big and probably be a, a fantastic player. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Milan were interested, right? You know, or or, or you know, there have been rumors. So for so long, he's been tied with Juventus, right? But. I, I, I do think he could make that move, but apparently he also really likes Sassuolo, and who can blame him, right? Because yeah. he's able to score lots of goals and play well, and who knows, maybe maybe it gets him somewhere at, at some point. But yeah, Sassuolo right now, Scamacca, Raspadori, uh, Fratezzi, all three players I think you have to familiarize yourself with because you're probably going to be hearing those names quite a bit. And I mean, Italy also have a really crucial World Cup qualifier coming up against, uh, you know, in, in the next month. So um, those are names you also really want, especially Skamak and Raspadoria, are definitely going to be tipped to, to get into that, that front three, um, especially with Chiesa out. Like, there, there's going to be room now for these guys to, to make a threat, even Berardi if he keeps playing well. So those are names to keep an eye on because you, you'll certainly, certainly be hearing them uh, again and again. Um, let's move on to, to the, uh, the Eternal City. Roma two Hellas Verona two. Um, I wanted to highlight this one because it, it obviously didn't mean as much as some of the other games. Uh, you know, Roma aren't really in contention for the title. They're on the periphery of the of the Europe battle. Hellas Verona having a really strong year, uh, perhaps in a way unexpected. But uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this is, is there's a lot of young players for Roma this season that I've been impressed with, and this was a game that I mean highlighted them because you have Volpato and Dove come on uh, and get. Uh, their first goals for the club in spectacular fashion and you lead this like comeback to to get a point and I do think it's an interesting shift in like where Jose Mourinho has coached previously right he so frequently associate him with you know the big cl- the big clubs the big players big egos he is a big ego himself uh, being able to manage that being able to manage all the pressure that comes with that and if you think about it his his first you know, job that really gained him notoriety was with Porto, right? Where he takes definitely a lot of like younger, talented players, uh, but certainly not a team of like well-known, established international stars, and guided them to a Champions League. You know, like he was, and that was kind of the the, the birth of Mourinho, in as far as our collective minds go. Um, I don't want to say that this is that situation, but I do think that some of the allegations levied against him are maybe a little bit unfair uh, because he, he has worked with young players. I, I don't know that he's someone that can't and, and won't. And I think if you look at Roma's situation, the squad itself is not amazing. Um, I know that it's technically a step backwards from where they were last year. And I know that he has a tendency to give these like big grandiose press conferences afterwards. But I'll also say this, his last two jobs that he's had, he has said things while there that people at the time bemoaned and said how obnoxious he is. Uh, and then, like, three years later, like, he was actually completely right. 
he was completely right when he said that taking that Manchester United team to second place was the best accomplishment of his career because that was a terrible team and they haven't even gotten close to that type of success since. And he's and he was right what he said about a lot of the Tottenham players. And I don't know, you know, they, you can question him on certain things. I, I don't think he's infallible by any means, but I just think I. I I kind of like where Roma is trending with with some of these young players. Now, do I think like these guys that scored this past weekend are going to be like mainstays within the team? No, but they do. Uh, have a, if, you, if you pay attention to Roma Twitter, they think that these guys are the second coming. Listen, of it is the eternal city, and they also have eternal optimism there, and I respect that about them. Right? I expect being blinded by your fandom. You know what? We all do it. We all got to engage, and Roma fans certainly really dive uh, deep into that pool. I swear, I saw something. Uh, when did, when did these guys play? They played Sunday. Uh, it's, it I don't Saturday. Remember. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Saturday. It was Saturday. Um, I I got off the mountain. I'm look. I'm looking on Twitter, and one guy's like Raspadori. Who? Volpato is the future. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy? It wasn't the best goal I've ever seen. Uh, you know, it was it was a big goal, right? But it wasn't exactly a. Lopez goal was nicer. It was beautiful, and I I love the way he shapes nice. up to it. Like no one was expecting it either. No one was no. expecting him to shoot from that angle. Uh, whether he meant totally to do that or not, you know, it's like the Rodrigo goal over the weekend. I don't think he meant to put that in, but it, it went in. Here's what's interesting about Roma, right? We all know the traditional big four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey? Come join me. Dom Ponteri and Harrison Cremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Their average age this season is 27. That's the eighth youngest in Serie A. And that is definitely like heavily weighted by some like older, older players like Chris Smalling, right? Rui Patricio, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. They they have like the next two or three seasons, I think could be really interesting for Roma. And I think they have made some some genuinely good signings. Some of that will depend. We've seen a lot about like Zaniolo partly with his injury history, right? But also like there there's rumors about him potentially leaving. I'm I'm curious to see where Roma end up over the next few seasons because I think this is like a sign of where they're trending, which is younger. Uh, the younger guys seem to care a little bit more. I think Mourinho recognizes and respects that. He's never been afraid to give young players their start. Like he's he's never been the type of manager to like freeze out uh, young guys and say that they can't you know do it or they they can't they can't make it to the next level. Um, you know, I, personally for me. I think that Roma should sell Zaniolo. Take advantage of whatever hype he still has. He's been very good still. With, I would with, not. But but this is the reason. The injury history. How many times do you want to allow him to continue to get injured and bank on him being there? And, and, and you know, next thing you know, you have him signed to a big contract. He gets a big injury and he comes back. Not He doesn't – he can't come back to be the same player he ever was. Um, I mean – you see, you see certain cases like maybe Chiesa with Juventus, where you know he's going to be hurt, but then he'll come back and hopefully he'll stay healthy. He'll be the same player, that kind of thing. But like with Roma, especially with where they're landing, if they land out of European contention, they don't have a lot of money to work with to make a lot of you know. Now, and when I say when I want to say big signings, 
going on the on the theme of you know making sure that they have a young squad and they're planning for the future and they're building if they want to get prospects and 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 you know uh more towards the top end of the list of prospects you still got to have some money and and they, that money has to come from somewhere do they offload some of these older guys to other clubs like smalling maybe sell him back to a lower club in in england uh, you know, here's, here's the thing. Sold. Here's how I see Italy trending over the next few seasons. Cause there's going to be some change in some of these, these clubs that I think that have, have been at the top, right? Atalanta who had a really disappointing result again this weekend are in a weird position of transition. And the next two or three seasons for them are also crucial for a lot of similar reasons, right? Because they are refreshing the squad a little bit. The familiar faces, your Ilicic, your Zapata, Gerson's is, is already out of the team right now at Inter. Um, you know, they've lost Romero, you know, last season to, to Spurs now. Like, they're constantly in this flux and change now. And I, I don't know that Atalanta are going to be, you know, the top five team that we've seen over the last few seasons in Serie A. Uh, Fiorentina, I think I've, I've always had a really, really good year. Uh, but part of that was certainly due to Vlahovic. I, I understand the irony in saying that on a weekend where they beat Atalanta, right? But you know, I, I don't know that Fiorentina are necessarily going to be better than Roma for the next two or three seasons. Uh, Lazio, I think, are also in a, a similarly interesting position, right? Because uh, Immobile is not getting any younger. Uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be able to save them with 30 goals a season anymore. Milinkovic-Savic is constantly linked away. Um, yeah, I just I think Roma have that potential to break into that tier of which constantly competing for Champions League. It wasn't that long ago that they were they were that. <laughs> you know, it's, well, yeah, that that's another thing they, that like, Roma Roma fans on Twitter like to remind everybody of. But they were, you know, five seasons ago they were genuine title contenders. There's no reason in my mind to believe that in five seasons they could have had another title contention. It, Serie A right now is the most parity it's ever had, and I don't see Juventus reclaiming no, its title as that. like eight, nine, you know, uh, Scudettos in a row, because that I don't know that that's on the cards in, in the I next agree. few seasons. There's so much work to be done. And I think the league as a whole has improved so much. Yes. Um, Hellas Verona is a perfect example of that. Yes. You know, when you consider that you have these young teams, Sassuolo, who we just talked about, you know, these young teams that have, you know, bright managers, uh, bright young talents. There's, there is more money in general in Serie A now. And so that, that does introduce a little parity. I think Roma should be making a play for that. Is Mourinho the guy? I don't know. But I, I do think people have been maybe, maybe a little unfair. Not that, not that Mourinho well, deserves a lot of benefit of doubt, but it just it just seems like well, it just seems lazy to just say, "Oh, it's Mourinho. He's this miserable person." It's like well, I don't know. Well, this is the thing. Mourinho speaks his mind, and he's very blunt about it, and that's what makes people like label him as crazy or like you know they doubt him or whatever. And then, like you said, a couple of years down the road, you're like, "Oh, well, he kind of did know what he was talking about. We just didn't like the way he put it." You know, that's that's one of those are the few adjectives that. You know, or always said he was always like, uh, what, what cocky, yeah, brash, which he is. Blonde. He is arrogant. Like that's, that's he is conceited. He is. Very arrogant. But yes, as he said in press conferences, three, three titles I won. <laughs> three respect. Like, listen, and, and this is the other thing. Uh, he like, yes, he he did two stints in England with two different teams, and I guess my point kind of plays into that as well. He's he's done two stints now with different teams in Italy. He knows the league. He knows what needs to be done to, in order to win. He can see what goes on. He knows the culture there. He won a goddamn treble with Inter. Like like if if, if you're gonna talk about anybody that like can can handle Serie A with the team, just like you said, he took a god awful Manchester United team to second place. 
you know, Roma is another team where he could potentially pull that off. It just depends if it happens in that three-year span because it seems like he only spends three years at a club and then he's out. So it's been it's been the half life on that has been uh, shortening every season. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about Verona because um, they they should have won this game. Frankly, I, they they really lost control in that second half. Um, and a guy that we loved earlier in the season who has really disappeared. I, I'm putting out the Amber Alert for for uh, Simeone because he hasn't scored since December 12th. Uh, Dom, how many shots on target do you think Simeone has had since December 12th in the league? Eighteen shots on target. Uh, I thought it was going to be some ridiculous number. Um, no, I'm going to say hasn't scored a goal since. Yeah, uh, seven. Two. He has had two shots on target since December twelfth. Uh, that's tragic for your main striker. And he and... had one. He had one in this game, but he happened he... to be offside. Right. Uh, so <laughs> something's got to change there. The, the the man needs to be taking more shots. I don't know if that's a system issue or he's lost some confidence. I know that he wasn't going to, you know, he was on pace to what have like 30 goals in the league. I knew that that was not going to be the case, but uh, it should not have slowed down the way that it has. So Verona need to figure that out. Um, but they've had a strong season so far. I, yeah. I don't want to be too critical of them. Um, I, I think what they've done as well. I, I don't think this was great, though. None of the top six in Italy won this game week. Uh, everyone drew <laughs> or lost uh, if, if you're at Atalanta or, or Inter. Inter. Um, Napoli had a great chance today against Cagliari to, to make up some ground and failed to do so. Happy Milan were the first uh, top team, <laughs> first team to come in top of the table to not beat the last t- place team in Syria in six years. So making history picking history aren't they uh it's a frustrating listen salernitana though they got the same manager that saved torino you know they, they the great escape is on for them i'm telling you i'm telling you come may may 22nd salernitana the salerno boys will still be in syria that is my that's my lock it in guarantee Ooh, put your entire put your, put your mortgage on it salernitana stay hot day. Uh, we are not staying in Italy anymore. Hey, before longer, before though. we before we leave Italy though, tell before me, we Dom. Leave Italy, uh, this is just a little bit of tongue in cheek from from my chat. Uh, my buddy Stefan, he's from Norway. He said, uh, "Bodo Glimt is much better than Roma." Bodo Glimt, they they had a fantastic result against Celtic. So uh, someone called them, uh, said Celtic got beat by a Wi-Fi password. So that's. <laughs> Tough scene. Photo so Clips have had between Roma and Celtic. They've had some really like uh, f- famous victories this season so far. So uh, so good for Bodo Glimpse. And I mean, it sucks. you it... can't really see the the Conference League on Paramount. It's it's hard to watch. I wanted to watch at least some of the games, um, but really hard to do so. Even the highlights are. Kind they've of been hard they've to been doing by. it for about like two years now because they had some good games in the Europa League last year against Milan. I'm talking about, which, I'm talking about the, the, oh yeah, yeah Bodo I'm Glimt, talking about yeah. Glimp because, because that's that, where you got a, uh, what's his name? Your, how your, does, yeah, your favorite player of all time, right? How yeah, Yo, I, absolutely I'm convinced still that so that mad that they be. sold him, <laughs> but I mean, he, he, he had a hot start at the beginning of his tenure in Germany and kind of fell off after that. So <laughs> sounds Sounds eerily familiar to some other landing spot that he was at. Uh, let's move to England. He, he was our Erling Holland. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I wish he was. Uh, maybe the end part of that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll move to England. Manchester City 2, Spurs 3. 
uh, one of the games uh, of the weekend for sure. And I think this this could be one of the games of the season. It was a lot of fun, which it just, I don't know what it is about this fixture, but it always seems to provide some kind of drama. Uh, I think a lot of people remember the Champions League uh, quarterfinal a few seasons ago between these two and how insane that was. Uh, you go back to opening day <laughs> this past year, right? And uh, Spurs get a really big 1-0 win over City uh, with the Harry Kane-less Harry Kane plays a huge part in this game, though. Uh, this was, I think, the best Harry Kane has been all year, uh, even just outside of the, the actual like goals that he gives, right? His, his passing play is a lot of what we knew that City loved in Harry Kane being used against Manchester City, which had to sting quite a bit. I thought he was fantastic. I, I thought Spurs played this very well. It reminded me a lot of how they set up against Liverpool, too, where... Just on the break, they're so hard to to like navigate and deal with because you have Sun. Now you have Kulusevski, which is another big threat. They link up for the first goal of the game after five minutes. Um, they have a real they have a real knack now for for against the bigger teams of finding those spaces and and really hitting teams well in transition. Um, and, th- and that's an area that I, I think they've definitely improved a lot under Conte. Listen, Harry Kane is one of the best center forwards in in the world, in, in my opinion. I think that. Uh, what he offers more than just a solid number nine is just a striker where he has that finishing ability and he can find those open spots and he can get up in the air and head the ball into the net as well. But the best thing, in my opinion, and I, I think this is 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 more just my preference in, in, in a forward, I like a forward that can also drop deeper into the midfield, can play the ball at his feet, and, and, and can ping passes and, and open the field up for his team. Um, and And – when Harry Kane is able to do that, and if you can get to the, get the ball to him quick enough uh, on a counterattack and what he's able to do with finding his teammates bursting down the sidelines, it opens the field up and Spurs become that much more dangerous. And I think with some of the signings that they brought in, um, both Juventus players, uh, Ben Thicker in, in, in the case of getting the ball to Harry Kane, and then Kulusevski, who's darting down the sideline you know, for that long ball from Harry Kane in behind. I think that Harry Kane is is crucial to Spurs' success, and, and you can see it here, you know, against arguably the best team in the league. Again, the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GetInTheWholePod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Kane was just fantastic in this one. I think Hugo Lloris also owes Harry Kane some money because uh, he was bad again. Uh, <laughs> the first City goal is, is awful. I, I I don't know how he doesn't just hold on to that and it, he just allows it to bounce right back. It's been a it's been a tough tough week and a half for Hugo uh, with some of these mistakes that he's made. But yeah, I thought yeah, he had one hell of a save though. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Overall, he he yeah. has a tendency to make up for it, but like the guy gives away some goals. Pretty often, I would say. Uh, I can remember a time that he uh, parried a ball right into Toby Alderweireld to give Liverpool a late win. And I was very happy on that day that Hugo Lloris was in net because not many other goalkeepers would have done that. Um, yeah, Spurs were really efficient as well. They had six shots in this game. 
Five of them were on target, and that amounted to three goals. Uh, so it has to be a little bit of hair pulling for City because I, I think they did limit them to chances, but it just so happened that it limited them to a lot of really good chances, and a lot of them just happened to fall to Harry Kane. Harry Kane, speaking of efficiency, had the fewest touches, which are 37 out of any of the outfield starters, um, and yet had two goals, and we just talked <laughs> to immense length about how fantastic he was in this game. And that's because... Yeah. Every single touch he had just mattered, and he he, he played it very well, and I, I think was was great. Um, and it wasn't for a really fantastic save by Ederson. He might have had you know, a hat trick in this game. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, the bigger part of this, which I I don't want to say because I don't like jinxing, I don't like talking about it, especially as Liverpool have, have a midweek game against Leeds. But um, the title race is back <laughs> we uh, I, we kind of buried this about a month and a half ago because frankly <laughs> it was buried um but should liverpool beat leeds which is still a should and an if um there'll be three points behind city with manchester city and liverpool still to play later in the spring <laughs> <laughs> listen this is a huge huge win for spurs and a huge, huge loss for City when it comes to their lead against everybody else in the table. Like you said, now they only have a three-point lead, and these six they, point. It's it's not. Don't 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 count the chickens. Oh, before, oh okay, okay, if okay. We, yeah, yeah. If I Liverpool, that's, if that's Liverpool beat Leeds, yes. Okay, so if Liverpool do beat Leeds, um, I mean, and and then they still have a game to play later. I mean, that's. <sighs> We could we could have a very interesting interesting end to the Premier League season. Here's where it gets tough for me. The last time City lost a league game was October. There's absolutely nothing stopping them from going from now till May without losing a game. In the Pep's gonna league. make them run all practice. Did you see the look on Pep's face? Like after I, I don't know if it was the second goal. Yeah, it had to be the second goal. And Pep's just sitting there in his seat, just like. What the hell's going on? <laughs> He's like, you could tell the anger was intensifying. Well, it's hilarious because you know he famously called Spurs the Harry Kane team, uh, and Harry Kane really carried Spurs in this one. And uh, it's even more funny now because he obviously so deeply wanted Harry Kane at, at City, um, and to see Kane just absolutely destroying them and and making this again a, a genuine conversation at least about the title, right? Because we I can't stress this enough. A few weeks ago, they had a 10-point lead, and it felt like pretty insurmountable, right? And, and there's just no chance. And there were some games in hand stuff that affected that, but it just they, they were just absolutely humming, and it just didn't seem possible. You know, and they've dropped some points now, and I, I think there's, there's some vulnerability there. But I, I'm not getting my hopes up either because, again, like I mentioned, the last time they lost a league game before this was in October. It's just hard to imagine them dropping that many more points. Very um, interesting. For anyone to beat them to the title, it's going to be half the, uh, as close to perfect as you can get. Uh, Liverpool are going to have to beat them, you know, in uh, when they play in April. There's really no other option if they actually want to win the title, uh, yeah. because there's there's you you don't get games like this very often for City. Um, let's move on. Listen, uh, uh, before we move on, I do I'm interrupting again. I'm sorry. Um, this is where I wanted to get my agenda out. Uh oh, Don has um, a narrative. Yeah, I have a narrative. Um, listen, uh, this mainly was sparked in, in my head because of, uh, Arsenal fans that I saw on Twitter, but 
basically uh, they were calling players like Vlahovic and I think Chiesa and some other players uh, saying that they have no heart um, or no desire to win because they decided to stay in Syria and play lower competition and things like that. But, you know, when you watch the Syria players that do go to other leagues that, that, that are kind of highly touted prospects, I'm not talking about just any run of the mill Syria player that gets a transfer to a foreign club. Um, they tend to do well. I mean, you and and this is this is a game that that kind of highlighted that, right? I mean, Kulusevski obviously didn't create the first or the goal that he scored, right? Son and Harry Kane created that. Son lays it off. Good finish though. But then uh, for the third goal, Bentaker gets the ball, plays a great pass to to put Kulusevski through. Kulusevski sends the ball, and Harry Kane gets gets the goal. I mean. Uh, Bentaker and Kulusevski came in and had very good games for Tottenham. And, you know, maybe they keep it up and it kind of proves their worth almost. You know, you've got these Serie A guys who apparently to all of England is a farmer's league. And, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the play, that must mean that the players aren't shit, right? Especially, you know, uh, now obviously people could say, oh, yeah, but they came from Juventus. But Juventus isn't even the best team in the league this year, Right. Yes, they won nine Scudetti in a row. doesn't matter. Like, you know, if, if you were talking about Lautaro Martinez or if you were talking about, uh, I don't know, Skriniar or something like that, like most people would say, oh, yeah, well, they're coming from Inter. Like Lukaku going to going back to Chelsea. Everybody was like, oh, my God, yes, we got him. Like, is this because he played in the Prem prior and he just went to Syria? Lukaku's like, like, not a great example to bring up because he touched he no. touched the ball two times Terrible. this past week. <laughs> Terrible. But but okay, that plays more into my point that he's really not a Serie A product like some of these other guys who don't go to the Prem and then go somewhere else, right? They go to Serie A first, then they go to the Prem. They're kind of like to the to the average Prem fan that doesn't watch anything else, they're unknown talents. You know what I mean? People don't It's hard know. for people. I will say it's hard for people to watch multiple leagues multiple games right i don't blame people for like no nah. right and that's why we do the podcast right to let people you know because I, exactly. I would say both these leagues are very popular uh people may not have the time to dedicate you know their their weekends to watching the game so basically my this, agenda I, is this don't sleep on syria talent <laughs> if you don't watch the league because look what happens <laughs> Yeah, one one assist will do that to you, right? Um, I do. I will say Benton Kerr, I was I was pretty negative on, and he's impressed me so far at Spurs. Uh, mainly because in Juventus he looked lost very often, and I just feel like every time I watched a game with him playing, he was giving away possession in like terrible spaces. But uh, his passing has definitely been impressive so far. And yeah, Kulusevski, I I was hopeful on, and has so far looked pretty good. Uh, he's he's had some good moments. Uh, this was definitely this this game that was the best that Kulusevski has looked by a mile. Uh, at Spurs, he's had like some flashes so far, but this was the more complete performance, and hopefully, it's it's a building block for him. Just but, yeah. happened to do it against the best team in the league. I hate the the farmers league stuff. That that exhausts me. It's so stupid <laughs> because if yeah, people aren't right? careful too, especially from people who watch, you know, I've I see a lot of Premier League teams. If it wasn't for Liverpool, City would have won every single title for the last uh, four seasons. So <laughs> like, and there's not much hope on the horizon either that, uh, Liverpool will be able to like sustain a long-term title challenge for the next four or five seasons. Whereas I don't know that you could ever tell me that city are not going to be in with the title and Chelsea United Arsenal have not been able to get themselves together. You know, these typically what we see is perennial oh, big clubs, but wait, Chelsea won the champions league. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that's that's not the point though right when people say farmers league they're talking about you know because Bayern have won the champions league yet they always get that same label in germany right like it's it's just dumb you know like because there's not much like especially city's dominance this past decade is like you're bordering on farmers league right you know people talk the same way about about league one right and uh they've had more diversity over the last few seasons in in uh title winners and and where are what league are all these other teams looking to buy players from league one they're looking at real they're looking at at every single team everybody's looking to buy players from this league but they're the farmers league doesn't make any sense to me there's no point in being snobs about the leagues right i think that's that's the main point here um no point in being snobs about this one. Leeds to Manchester United for uh, a, a historic rivalry reignited, and it was great. This was a great game. Uh, here's here's what I, I liked about this, right? Because it gave us a lot of, of information about what we thought about United, right? In that first half, I think they're they're pretty controlled, score some nice goals. Uh, they they seem like they're cruising, and we had seen this from them where they go usually 1-0 up at halftime. They come out, they're tested, and they don't respond well to that test. And they get, I think, what is the hardest test that they've faced. Two goals in under two minutes from Leeds. Ellen Road is absolutely bumping. It's like you would you would not have been shocked if this game ended 2-2, or even if Leeds came back and get all three points here. But United responded really well. Uh, a, a lot of composure, a lot of maturity, and Ragnick had the same thing to, to say about the team is what I'm saying now. And uh, They end up winning this one 4-2. Uh, they, they kill the game off, and this has not been what they've been doing lately, right? Uh, before this, they had three straight draws uh, coming into this game, all 1-1s. A lot of times, they, they just were not able to handle like even like the slightest bit of pressure from some of these teams. And they finally get that off their back a little bit. And I think this could be like a pretty pretty good turning point for them. Oh, man. I, I'm just looking at the Rodrigo goal that you said shouldn't have gone in. Yeah, that was a cross. I've scored a few of those on Xbox before. I think but... uh, Jim Beglin immediately uh, was like, that was a cross. Yeah. <laughs> he was not and allowing anyone to celebrate it. I'll say this, though, about, about United. Um, this is definitely a, a step in the right direction. I mean... You're seeing guys uh, on on the score sheet that are getting goals and assists that you aren't used to always seeing, right? Jaden Sancho had two assists, right? And this is this is a guy that in the beginning of the season, a lot of people were saying like, should United have done this? Like, has he been a bust for United? This and that, and and you know now he's he's getting that he's getting playing time. It seems like Ragnik really enjoys Sancho, and and he's he's getting his chances and he's he's taking advantage of them. Uh, Elango with a goal as well. Um, so, I mean, it is a step in the right direction. You're playing a team in Leeds that isn't the easiest of opposition, right? It's not a team that you can take lightly, just like you said, if Liverpool beat Leeds. This isn't a team that you can take lightly whatsoever. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe it is a good step in the right direction. If United can keep it up, maybe they can maybe they can challenge, you know, or, or what what. Are they in third, fourth? Where are they right now? I know they're they were currently in. in they're currently in fourth. Right? Maybe uh, and they're they're they've been my pick for a while to get that fourth spot just because yeah. I think they have the most talent and they have looked better in a lot of ways under if, Ragnick so far. If they keep up, if they keep up that you know form, just like they showed in this game, you know they'll hold down that fourth spot and they'll lock it in. But you know that's that's for the rest of the season to see. Maybe this is a one off one off game where you're you know you're gonna you're see them play well and then next game. They disappear. 
you know? Right. Uh, yeah, you talked about Jaden Sancho, too. This this past month has been really his best month as a United player. He's, he's got a lot more involved, and I think that's because of Rangnick, because he realizes, hey, we have this uh, great playmaking threat. Let's actually use him. Um, for for Leeds' side, this is tough, right? Because they have the second-worst defense by goals scored in the league. They've this conceded 50 goals already this season. Um they have this man marking system, right? Where like they, they match man for man across the, the field. And that I think has been a, a huge, huge issue for them this season where teams have figured that out and have been able to, to run up the score and leads quite a bit. And it's, it's a big struggle. Now they've obviously had some injury issues too. Um, and if you look at like their, their wage bill and stuff, I know that they're not like the highest spenders of course, but, and they're, they're working with, with, I would say like lower quality tools than a lot of these other teams. But I, kind of start to get a little worried about their direction this season, right? And the fact that they just can't stop conceding. Um, and they're, they're just, I would say, in a bad way uh, going forward. And I, I do think there's been a lot of discussion as well about Bielsa and, and his future. You know, he only he obviously famously only signs these like one-year contracts. Um, so he's out of contract in the summer. Who knows if they stick with him, right? But Leeds, I, I think, were a lot more interesting last year because I think they're they're winning some more games that are more fun. This year, it's been more, more on the side of uh, just high-scoring affairs, usually lopsided against Leeds. Um, speaking of just like this, all right, so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to shed my bias here, but Bruno Fernandes is, is probably one of my most disliked players uh, because he's... I, we've all played with a guy like him, right? That's like immensely talented, but just like constantly cries and throws himself to the ground and whines and is constantly screaming at the ref about something. And he has this, <laughs> he just has this mannerism about him that is so exhausting that his own teammates are exhausted at this. Uh, he gets dispossessed for the second goal and throws himself to the ground, doesn't even get touched, and just lays there and, and leads end up scoring and equalizing. And... His only teammates didn't even like try and like you know how sometimes when someone gets injured in the buildup or gets fouled in the buildup and the teammates like stick an arm up and like you know try and talk to the referee. No one even did that on his behalf and no one even like checked on it because they all know that he does this. And I'm not the only one to say this. Paul Scholes himself was was really critical of Fernandez for that, saying that it looked pretty soft to him and he's just got to be tougher. And I completely agree uh, because I'm just I'm tired of it. I, I hate it. It's it's like the attitude and the mannerisms in the sport that make like dumb, you know, like especially like American guys oh, just so, throw themselves to the ground. But it's it's exhausting. It's so you're exhausting to watch. You're tired of a Portuguese Manchester United player throwing themselves to the ground, crying and complaining to the refs. Damn, that sounds it's very worse than Ronaldo ever was. It's to me, it's worse than Ronaldo ever was. It's way worse. I don't know what it is about him, but I just know that I've played with this guy, even on like pickup games. And they're, they're just exhausting to play with. Even when they're your teammate and they're winning you games, you get exhausted of them. It's just like, dude, can you just shut up for a game? Um, Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work and with the rise of streaming platforms new tv shows and movies are popping up every single week and it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch well that's where streamer season comes in the exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for tv and movies on the underground sports philadelphia podcast network join me kb and a plethora of our hosts right here at usp breaking down all the new tv and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms 
that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I, I just I do think there's a strong game for United though because we have seen them you know throw these games away and either lose it completely or have to be bailed out by like Ronaldo theatrics or something like that. And I think they they turned it around quite well, and I, I think that bodes well for the rest of their season. Um, so good for them, good for the three points. Uh, let's get on to our last Premier League game: uh, Wolves two, Leicester City one. Uh, this is big, obviously, because this is a challenge of like two of the teams over the last few seasons that I think that are outside of the traditional big six now right uh that have threatened that big six the most wolves came up uh from the championship with a lot of money a lot of talented players uh a lot of intrigue right and i I think a lot of people really liked wolves in a lot of ways um and this season i've had a really good rebirth under bruno lage and are now uh sitting in seventh place there are a lot of people's like dark horse pick to get into champions league spots uh, whereas Leicester, obviously, we all know the story about their title win. But even the last few seasons have, again, you know, finished fifth and, and been threatening a lot to, to finish in those Champions League spots. Um, this season, it's it's all gone wrong for Leicester in a lot of ways. Not totally in Brendan Rodgers' control. They've had a lot of injury issues, a lot of instability within the squad. Um, and Wolves, again, like I said, they've they've reformed themselves a little bit. Uh, they, they've recaptured some of that magic. And I think Bruno Lodge deserves a lot of credit for what he's done uh, so far with Wolves. Yeah, I mean, first off, uh, the Portuguese national team is uh, doing very well in in England. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, they've they've been they've been improving season after season. I mean, what what always used to pop in my head when I heard Wolverhampton Wanderers was a lower table team, a team that's like fighting against relegation. And as they've you know built this team and, and kind of went, I remember like the first few years when they started doing this like Portuguese kind of thing and and. They, and then, you know, they built from that, right? They're not obviously a completely team, a complete team of just Portuguese players like they used to be mainly. But, um, you know, they've, they've been doing a good job. And and like you said, they find themselves in seventh place. Um, they had some – their, their goals were very nice. And, I mean, uh, you know, they play a lesser squad where we've talked about on the show before. you got Brendan Rodgers' team. The defense may not always be there locked in and, and structured. So, you know, it, and it definitely showed in this game where, you know, both chances or both goals rather for, for Wolves come outside the box. They were low driven right to one of the corners goes through like a bunch of people. Nobody can really get a foot to it or anything like that. And, and, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, this brings up a lot of concerns for, for Lester. Yeah. It, especially for Schmeichel, right? Because uh, he's, you know, and this is a, a bigger issue with Leicester is that they, they're in a, a weird transition spot too because some of the old guard that we've gotten to know so well, and like like Schmeichel and Vardy, even Albrighton, who's still playing a lot of games, partly because of how many injuries they've had, um, are getting on and their contracts are starting to run down and they're going to have to make big decisions about them. This was interesting uh, about, about Leicester's defense, right? So they've conceded 43 goals this season already. They'd only conceded 50 all of last season. So they're they're almost certainly going to be much worse uh, in terms of goals conceded uh, than they were uh, last year. And a lot of that, again, is because of injuries they face. But Soyonchu has been awful this season. I, I just, every time, every game I watch with him, he's making tons of errors. This was Not the same player like last year. This was interesting talking about Schmeichel and, and goalkeeper saving. And it's hard, like, I will say, like, some of the, like, advanced numbers on goalkeepers are still, like, something that I think are, are 
a work in progress, but last season they were plus 0.5 in post-shot expected goals. Uh, this year they're minus 3.9 in that same number. So they've gotten significantly worse. That means essentially like there's some goals going in that should not have be going in, right? It, to, to be expected to go in. Uh, so Schmeichel has some, some answering to do there. Um, this is the first time under Lester that uh, under Brendan Rodgers, I'm sorry, that Lester have gone winless and five in the league. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit tough for them right now. I, I think they came into the season with a lot of ambition, especially hoping to finally get into those Champions League spots. They've thrown that away the last few seasons. Um, it's clearly not going to happen for them. I, I think they kind of have to just... I think it's it sucks to say, but I think they have to punt on the season a, a little bit. I, I think I'd, I'd love to see Pats and Daka play a little bit more. He's still definitely a bit more of a raw talent, but um, I do think he's so dangerous, incredibly quick, obviously. But we saw last season, he was one of Europe's top goal scorers. So hey, he has that ability, and I, I think the, the more time, the more game time you can get him, I think it's almost a blessing in a way that Vardy's been injured this season because it's kind of forced Brendan to actually play Pats and um, Iannaccio has just disappeared uh, again uh, last season. It certainly seems more like a, a flash in the pan rather than anything consistent. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think Lester, you know, they're obviously very likely to lose uh, Tillemans this summer. Uh, he's he's winding down his contract and it just seems like they're going to sell him rather than let him go for free. James Madison is obviously someone that's been linked away quite a bit as well. Um, there's just, there's, there's a lot that I think is going to ride on the next like two years for Lester and, and where they go. And uh, and how they perform, you could you could see them fighting for relegation in two years if if they don't do the right things and and they sell these players off. I mean, like you said, like Telemans is is how old is he now? Uh, I think he's only twenty four. Because I was going to say he's we, been around forever. He's been he was playing yeah, with exactly. when he was sixteen. So yeah, he's, yeah, he's been he's been like touted as one of the best young talents for so long, and that's because he's been playing from such a young age. So yeah, he's he's still young. And and there's going to be a team that that scoops him up, if not at the end, if not this summer, next summer. But uh, and and like you said, James Madison could find himself at a at a top like six team, top five, top six. Everything I've heard about Tielemans from like anyone who like follows or covers Leicester is that he's almost certainly being sold this summer uh, because he's not interested in re-signing a contract, and they're not just going to let him walk to another to another English team or it you know I. Or just in general, basically. in general, right? Like he's he's, but I mean, I, I don't know where he would necessarily go abroad. He certainly could. I think he's good enough to play in, in any top club. I, I don't know that there's too many midfields he wouldn't at least be part of a rotation in. Uh, he's he's very talented. I mean, you saw it in this game. Like some of the passes he's making, uh, the the goal that they score is is because of a beautiful through ball from him. Um, yeah, I, I just think. He's a fantastic player, so I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to see where he ends up. Uh, another highlight from this game, though, Pedro Neto returned after a year out with injury. Um, that's a big boost for for Wolves, right? Because they obviously, yeah. uh, some people call it unsustainable in the way that they've been able to perform defensively without scoring many goals. Uh, Neto is someone that was really dangerous and I think was going to be a big threat for them. Uh, hasn't materialized, of course, due to injury, but now that he's back, if he can sustain that, you know, they get a solid you know month and a half out of him. Maybe they're in a different place, but... Let's uh let's recap just a little bit of, of European action from last week because it's important to discuss, especially Liverpool beating Inter Milan 2-0 at the San Siro. That was great. Uh, felt, <laughs> felt very nice. Uh, Bayern drew a, uh, Salzburg 1-1. That was definitely, I think, a, a surprising result. I don't know that a lot of people expected. I still personally expect Bayern to go through in this tie, of course, but... Uh, 
Yeah, that, that was one to, to focus on. Uh, USA and, and Medford native uh, Brendan Aronson with a totally intentional assist for, for RB Salzburg's goal. Um, that was good to see. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to the Champions League, right? Because obviously it's it's the best club competition that we have. Um, last week offered some really good games. We have some, I'll say, not as good games lined up for this week. I, I'm, not, I'm not as stoked on them, right? Uh, because they don't always have the, the same... Uh, affair that some of these won. You have Chelsea and Lille tomorrow, which is Tuesday or today if you're listening to that, and uh, Villarreal Juventus. Allegri has already put the voodoo on that game, so watch out. Uh, and Atletico Madrid, Manchester United on Wednesday, and Benfica Ajax. Both of those games will be fun, um, but you know, there's there's no like real real highlight match that I, I just absolutely am you know like carving out part of my day to a hundred percent watch. I'll be watching that, of course, but. Nothing that I think is, is huge. Um, for Europa League, just for, for English and Italian teams, Barcelona and Napoli uh, was played to a draw. Um, I thought Napoli played pretty well for most of that game, but Barcelona, I do wonder if Ferran Torres could just uh, finish his chances a little better. They'd be, <laughs> they they would have won that first game a, a lot I, easier. I, I will say this, since, since we're on the topic of Barcelona, and you know my whole chat basically loves Barcelona. Um, I was talking about this yesterday on stream. Ferran Torres could have been the reason that Barcelona potentially loses this tie solely because since they created all of those chances and he couldn't finish, we're talking about a team in, in Europe and, and domestically that is one of the, like, the top five defenses that have, you know, allowed the least amount of goals in, in the season. Right. I think they're, I think they're like fourth, fifth, something like that. They're tied with some prem teams Um and, and, you know, we, we've said it on the show that Napoli's defense is not one to, to take lightly. And now Koulibaly is, is playing. Did Koulibaly play this game against Barcelona? Yes. They, they yes. played a very okay. strong lineup. Yeah. So, so you know, this is, this is, again, a team that on any given day can shut you out. Um, you know, so it, it, I wouldn't say if I was a Barcelona fan to, to take this game lightly. I know this is obviously my Italian bias showing. Uh, but you know, Ferran Torres missing all those chances, but Aubameyang really didn't play much. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't there yet. Right. In this one. Oh no, Aubameyang played. He 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 had a, 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 a technically a hat trick over the weekend. No, 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 no. I'm talking against Napoli. No. Yeah. He, he played against Napoli. He he played, but, uh, I think he came off the bench, but yeah, he had a hat trick. Um, Pedri, Pedri's. That should have been Pedri's goal. But anyway, uh, I think that Aubameyang could find himself in the starting position. or, or He did find start. Some He's, way. He started against Napoli. Oh, I, I, you can tell I don't watch the Europa League. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, Barcelona can fix those kinks. I mean, they're obviously a better team than Napoli. I'll say this. I think Napoli having it as a draw coming back to, to Naples is big. I, I think oh, yeah, that's, that's a big advantage. I, I think, you know, especially now there's no wiggle rule or anything like that. So they just have to win outright and they're good. And I think they can do that. They can certainly, they can beat anyone at home. Um, Porto beat Lazio by a score of two to one. Uh, disappointing from Lazio. Just truly the most inconsistent team that I, I hate talking about because I don't know what sense to make of them, but uh, deeply frustrating. And I just, I wish they would 
be better. <laughs> but in some ways, I wish they weren't, you know? Like, I, I'm kind of glad that they're in, so inconsistent. Uh, but I also, I, I just think they have a better team than, than what they're performing right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Atalanta 2, Olympiacos 1. Big, big win for Atalanta. Uh, they were 1-0 down and fought back bravely. Uh, they're going to have a lot to do, though, in the second leg, for sure. Um, I would love to see Atalanta make a, a deep run in Europa League. We got to see a glimpse of that in the the quasi champions league knockouts uh when we had the covid restart when it was just one leg one game that's it um but i would love to see them make a deeper run in, in europa league because i think they have the, the the squad to do it and obviously Serie A hasn't gone great for them this season they're still in a great position of course i don't want to diminish that but um they probably would have had higher aims uh you know, I, I don't think it was out of the question that they could have contended for for a title this season um, but I, I think, you know, this is a team that if you get in the latter stages of the tournament, I would be wary of for sure in Atalanta. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're a team that has made runs in the Champions League, right? I think, uh, uh, I don't know how many years back, what they get to the quarterfinals? Yeah, that was in the COVID restart year where they yeah. almost, people forget this, I, I think, when PSG went to the final, they they're almost knocked out by Atalanta. It was like a 90th minute goal. Uh, that ended up changing. And then like two minutes later in deep stoppage time, they won it 2-1. But mm -hmm. Atalanta nearly went through 1-0 and they did what we did. And this is what's frustrating about them because in that game, they scored pretty early and really, I, I thought for a very large part of the match, shut PSG down. And uh, that's not something we've seen out of Atalanta, right? That we haven't seen them be like, this kind of uh, shut it up and open up shop type of team. Uh, we haven't seen them be pragmatic a lot and, and play defensive because that just isn't their style. That's not the way they play, of course. But um, they did it in that game and it nearly worked. And I think, you know, you set up, that would have yeah. been a semifinal between them and RB Leipzig. I, you know, that would have been hot. <laughs> I think that would have been really interesting and um, they could have um, made a final. Was, was this game played in Bergamo or was this in Greece? Uh, this was in Bergamo. Oh, it's going to be tough for Atalanta going away. It, like Olympiacos, Panathinaikos, all these all these Greek teams. The atmosphere in in those stadiums is absolutely ridiculous. Admittedly, I don't know if there's any um because obviously Italy Italy has a situation where oh, they yeah. have what are, uh, what are the stadium fans? restrictions. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head if there are any COVID restrictions in Greece. If uh, those stadiums are limited, uh, as some of the Italian. Uh, stadiums uh, are, are currently dealing with and, and some German stadiums, of course. So, like, I don't know if that'll affect it all. But, yeah, I mean, Olympiacos, is, they're, they're, they're a strong team as well in Europa League. They've yeah. uh, they've been a consistent performer at that level. They're a team you shouldn't take lightly. Ask Arsenal to let you know um, that they can they can, <laughs> they can can win a leg for sure. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to the conclusion of, of the Europa League ties because we'll get a new draw as well with the teams that finish top of the Europa League groups. Uh, so we'll have that to discuss next week. Uh, we'll have have some Champions League games to talk about and some good domestic games. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll get a clear sense of, of who's really going for the title. Hopefully someone in the top six in Serie A actually wins a game this uh, <laughs> this weekend. That'd be nice. Uh, Dom, anything to say before we hop out of here? Uh, follow me on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv slash a hairy ape. All one word. Um, play, play a lot of FIFA, talk a lot of footy, have a good time. That's about it. Great. Uh, I, I love that for us. I, I love that for you. Uh, until then, I, I hope you stay safe. I, I hope you uh, enjoy the games to come. I hope you enjoy the Champions League Europa League. And until we talk to you next time, we'll talk to you next time.